you all remember Foursquare? It was that app that was really like all the rage, I don't know, like 10 years ago almost now, where it allowed you to check in and you could become the mayor of a certain location. Like I was the mayor of the COSI at the corner of 14th and H. It just meant that I went there and had a chicken Caesar salad more often than I probably should have, but whatever. The thing is, Foursquare actually still exists and it very much still remembers you. It is now kind of like the basis behind a lot of the other apps that we use, like Uber and and uh, Twitter and a lot of the other location services based apps, which is really scary because like that's all of our data. It's just out there floating around. And it was probably the first sign to me and to everybody who should have been paying attention that maybe we're oversharing just a wee bit too much. But alas, I was still very excited to be the mayor of COSI. It was like a moment in time in my life. Well, why does Foursquare matter? It doesn't really matter, except for it's something I bring up at the very beginning of the show because we actually had a four square, kind of like the game that you used to play when you were kids where you would draw you know, a chalk outline on the ground and it would divide it into four and then you'd throw a ball back and forth. I never really knew how the points were scored, but it was really cool to peg your friends with one of those bouncy balls like it was dodgeball, except you're a lot closer. So there's four of us on this Zoom call. Myself, Celine Oberholzer, Alan Schroeder, and the great... Bodie, Michael Bodigheimer of so many different fames. And it's good to have him because he's going to help bring some data and context for us. It's been a little while since I've been a part of this, so I'm really excited to get back into it. A note, this show is recorded a few days before the Joe Martin stage race. So the statistics that Bodie has, you know, probably need to be updated for Joe Martin, which means Skylar Schneider wins more. And, you know, it doesn't include a recap of what happened that weekend. We'll be doing that recap of Joe Martin coming up next week, hopefully with a couple of special guests that I don't want to like tease too much right now, but they're really humble people and they are really, really fast people. I don't know. That probably didn't help. We're a part of the wide angle podium. Segway alert. We are part of the Wide Angle Podium, the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. Go to WideAnglePodium.com to find out more. You can find out everything you want to know about what's happening in the gravel world right now, which is super hot, so hot right now, with Amanda, Zach, and Bill over on the Grodio. Check out the work that they are doing, and also check out Storytime with KBH, Kevin Bouchard Hall. It's hilarious. He does this whole thing with the Vermont rooted race that he participated in a couple of weeks ago, along with Adam Roberge. Adam Roberge, you'll hear again and again, probably when we get to the episode on Joe Martin, because he did incredible at Joe Martin, just like he did incredible at rooted Vermont. This show is brought to you by source endurance source dash E dot net. Go there, take a look at the services that they offer. It is the best in endurance athletics, coaching, nutrition, 
lifestyle, all the great things that my coach, Zach Allison, and I talk about on a regular basis. You know, what are the best tires that go with my zips? What's the best advice for going to this race and competing? I wish that I've had more opportunity this year to actually use the advice, the racing advice that Zach has given me, but sometimes life gives you lemons and you make lemonade. I'm gonna make lemonade by racing cross, I guess. That's just the way it goes source-e.net go there use the promo code criterium nation all one word for $50 off your first month of coaching a lot of stuff to go here a lot of stuff to talk about we've got Birmingham Grant Park Spartanburg and Athens Twilight so without further ado we're going to get into it and we're going to do that right now So we got a four square going on here on Zoom. I've got the gallery view up. So there's one person in each corner and it's awesome because there's four of us, which means that there's something unusual happening here. First, I'm back and I want to say specifically to Michael Bodekheimer, thank you, Michael, for picking up my slack in the last episode. I very, very, very much enjoyed hearing everything from your perspective, what you're doing with automatic is, is incredible. Can you just like fill us in a little bit on what is hot lap summer and the onboard thing before we get any deeper? Sure, Rob. Yeah. Thanks. I had a, I had a blast last time, uh, joining, um, y'all's podcast. Uh, yeah. Hot lap summer is, well, it's sort of, sort of in production now. It's a documentary project about automatic racing, following, them this summer. Um, I've only done one episode. It was episode zero is the pilot. It's on the wide angle podium YouTube channel and admittedly had a goal of doing sort of like each week putting out a new episode. But then I quickly realized that that was a huge task that I didn't have the capacity for considering I still work full time and I'm kind of doing this uh, in my free time. So we're banking the footage, uh, a lot of good stuff. Uh, in the meantime, though, I put a GoPro on Tom Gibbons every race. And we put out two videos that we call Onboard with Vander Gibbon, where we go through his races, kind of chopping down to like 20 minutes. And we kind of, he, he provides some commentary. I ask him questions, pretty good insights. Uh, I try to tighten them up to make them, you know, pretty entertaining. Um, but I think it's a good view of the inside of the, you know, USA Crits Peloton. And a lot of times folks just put up a full race with, without commentary. But here I'm, I'm putting up 10 minutes at least. And you have Tom Gibbons, the leader of the USA Crits overall, who's giving you sort of his view of things and it's 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 pretty fun so that's what we have right now still working on the documentary maybe uh maybe during cross season i start releasing the episodes um so stay tuned go to wide angle podium youtube subscribe hit the button smash whatever the the word that the cool kids say these days celine speaking of cool kids you were out not just at usa crits recently but you also ended up at the gervil I think that's how they pronounce it. There's no vowels in Spittagervil, <laughs> but that's what it says on, on the Twitters. How was it out in Steamboat? Um, it was amazing. Yeah, it's a beautiful place to ride your bike. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I think we're fortunate that you came back to Texas because uh, I'm pretty confident that you were moving to Colorado after all of that. I mean, who says I'm staying? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you had to go pick up. You had to go pick up the cats. That's all that I counts, sure, right? I sure did. <laughs> so, and of course, our legendary uh, 
men's senior correspondent all the way from Boise, Idaho. Alan Schroeder, what's going on tonight? Oh, not much. Uh, barely made it to the podcast on time, dealing with flat tires on my ride. Uh, that's kind of been how my week's going. Flat tires. Oh, that's rough. I realized today that I may have a hoarding problem when it comes down to tires. I've run out of places to store all the tires that I've bought because anytime I find Continental 5000s, I buy them on the internet. And so now I've kind of got like a little warehouse of Continental 5000s and SRAM 12-speed chains. So, oh, Bodie, you need one? I mean, I just bought a new bike. It's 12-speed. I, I hear that I need to hoard parts. And also, what size are those uh, 5000s? Got any like 28s, any 30s? I got 28s and 25s. Okay, all right. I'm mixing it up a little bit for the winter and the summer. Zach Allison from Source Endurance and I have done some uh, non-scientifically based empirical analysis, and uh, I like 25s the best. They seem to go really perfectly on my zips. So I want to start backwards to forwards. So we've got the Grant Park Criterium in the beautiful Atlanta exurbs of Georgia. It was the, as far as I can tell, the single biggest one-day purse for women's crit racing ever. Nick Luther from North Georgia Cycling Association, or NGCA, asked, well, who would be the best historian for that, you know, to find out whether it actually is or is not the biggest ever. I don't know. I'd have to say probably Tina Pick or maybe Laura Van Gilder. They might be able to shed some more light on that. But it was a $20,000 prize purse plus preems plus everything else plus the most important thing of all, the biggest trophy in American crit racing courtesy of our good friends and friends of the pod, the Slow Ride Podcast. Celine, were you were you there at Grant Park? I was, yeah. How awesome was the trophy? <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was a four foot tall trophy. And Olivia is five feet three and two thirds inches or something like that. I, she's been very specific for me exactly how tall she is. So I know I totally undercut her, but like she is bordering on being taller than the trophy. And you know that's when you nail it. She walks away with $4,000 as the winner. Second place was Skylar Schneider with 3000 And then Maggie Coles-Lister with, I think it was two. You know, having that kind of money in women's bike racing, does that tell you, does that, you know, vindicate the fact that if you are a person who's looking to support local, national, elite level anything, is women's bike racing the best possible source to drop that money right now? I mean, I would say so. Yeah, that's a pretty easy argument to make. Um, even from the bike industry standpoint, I would say the male cycling market is pretty saturated, but there's still a lot of potential for growth in terms of the women's cycling market. So investing in women um, in bike races and other things as well like media coverage. And I mean, I could go on, but yeah, I think it's um, exactly the right thing to do. And it's long overdue. There were 65 women who started the race at Grant Park. It was not a USA Crits event. It was not PRT. It was part of Speed Week, but the people 
came to the race because they came to the race, which is incredible. Bodie, you were there. You are our guy on the ground at these races. What was the environment like? Oh, I got to say, I was thoroughly impressed with the vibe at uh, at Grant Park in Atlanta. Very cool scene. Lots of folks out. I mean, cool venue. It's in a park. So people were out there with their family, barbecuing, grilling, grilling. Cut. I mean, Celine, you know, you can verify, but it looked like a really tough course. You know, you kind of had a, the finishing straight was a as an incline, you know, gentle, and then it kind of dove down into the backside of the park and pretty fast turns and then was back up on a, you know, a pretty steady climb and, and then you're back on the straight. So, I mean, I just, I was, like I said, very impressed with the vibe there. I mean, it was, it was, it was a third day of a, of a crit weekend, so I was pretty exhausted, and I think a lot of the racers were, but there's still some really exciting racing, and, um, you know, talk about investing in women's racing. I think you have this re- amazing storyline this season with what Skylar Snyder's doing, and then you have someone like Olivia Ray, who is coming in and still putting up a fight and in, and taking some big wins herself, so it's like, it's it's pretty intriguing to watch what's going on um, in women's racing, and I, I'm I'm all about it. And I do want to do a side note, talk about the scene in Atlanta. I think there was an actress who was there that's in Stranger Things. I saw this on the Manual for Speed Instagram. Yeah, you guys know I what think I'm talking I saw about that as well. Um, I know the character's name, but I don't know the actress's name. She she's Nancy in Stranger Things. Nancy. Yeah. Yeah, apparently she's there, which is pretty exciting to to see that. <laughs> Wait, they're watching or they're in the race? Watching, yeah. Ah. <laughs> it would have been even yeah, even cooler if she was racing. <laughs> if she was like a sneaky cat too that jumped in trying to yeah. get some money. <laughs> <laughs> well well if you ever head out to Carson and get on the track in Carson, you may run across Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. Mark Paul Gossler is a track racer i believe he is the sneaky cat too so you know you, you got to watch out for for those guys i mean oh my god there's a really great zach attack pun that comes from this but i'll i'll just i'll just walk over that one it'll it'll it'll, it'll resurface later on on the men's side at grant park it was kind of a continuation of the days before with legion being dominant and i want to step back for a second and and say like I think I've been saying things wrong. And this is a realization that I had, I don't know, two, three days ago, where, you know, I would have instantly said, Tyler Williams wins Grant Park. Ben Wolf gets second and Oscar Sevilla gets third. But I'm starting to come to the consensus after listening to many copious episodes of the Media Pit that we probably should lead with the team. In road racing, the team is important. In crit racing, the team is important. So while Tyler Williams wins at Grant Park, it's really Legion of Los Angeles that wins. It is an inherent team competition where one person gets to stand on the top because, you know, there is no passenger in elite crit racing. There are passengers potentially in, you know, Masters, Cat 3, Cat 4, Cat 5. There's always that one teammate who comes and has their hand out afterwards saying like, oh, you guys all won. Can I get my $20 for for the prize money? And you're like, dude, you sat on the back the whole day. In, in, your, in, in your case, you know, Alan, with CS Velo, you're up there. You're aggressive. It doesn't matter where you finish as long as somebody on the team 
does well. And so like we put so much emphasis on the fact that, you know, a individual wins when it's just like, this is the team, the team won. you know, Tyler Williams wins at Grant Park because he's got awesome teammates who are with him. I don't know. Am I off base, Alan, or, or am I preaching to the choir here or what? No, I think you're, excuse me, right on. Um, Especially when you're looking at the guys who are finishing on the podium, you know, the reason they get there is in large part because they have a team around them that are making things, you know, I don't want to say easier on them in like the last eight to 10 laps because the race is still the race. It's hard, but it just kind of takes some worry out of those last few laps. You know, you, anytime you have a teammate's wheel that you can follow and you just focus on that, sticking on that wheel it really kind of helps things slow down a little bit so yeah when you're talking about someone who's winning or again getting on the podium like it's definitely a a team effort to get them there Um, as you start to go down you know down the list a little bit somebody that's finishing 10th still getting money but you know their teammates maybe played a much smaller role in them finishing there you know Bodie, with the work that you're doing with automatic and the way that you have access to them you know how important and critical are those pre-team pre-race team meetings post-race team debriefs what are those like they're like the reason i wanted to do this project actually you know i was at um i was at littleton in 2019 with tom and taking photos and i was i was there at the team meeting beforehand and i was like this is so cool like i love hearing these tactics and this is the stuff this is like why i like racing so i was like i want to capture some video and, and, you know, I think they're great. I think it's really interesting because you do see a lot of the personalities come out in the meetings and sometimes there's like different ideas of how things should be done. But usually at the end of the day, you know, in this situation, you know, Thomas or the boss and, and he's got a lot of new guys. So there's a lot of like learning that has to be had. And it's, it's, it's great to see the progression through the season. And, you know, they've had guest writers like Brenda Rim who brought experience and, and seeing them pass that off. And then sort of coming to like, you know, speed week now where it's just you know tom and a couple new guys right it's a whole like different it's a whole different thing and i think you know you start sometimes a project with one idea of a story and you end it with a different like i think originally it was about tom winning but now i'm like i'm more into the idea of like teammates working together and that growth of like tom learning how to work work with teammates and 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 seeing the team succeed so uh, yeah i mean Definitely Legion is the strongest team, men and women right now. Um, and I will say that Tyler did actually lap the field again. Uh, he did it at Athens and he did it at um, Grant Park. So he he's he's on fire right now. He's in fuego. We'll just say that. If if there was a if there was a you know a a video game um, about crits, like you'd want to pick Tyler Williams. <laughs> and he's doing it in a way that's genuine and authentic because you see his the photos at the end of the race when he's celebrating he is legitimately excited in those photos like his finish line celebrations are the thing that kind of got me into this sport of just that like moment of just incredible enthusiasm and, and happiness and joy and, you know, the photographer that's working with him, I believe his name's Kit Carson, is just doing an outstanding job of being in the right place at the right time. Smoke machine or no smoke machine, nailing it. 
<laughs> yeah, Kit, Kit's a great photographer. And, you know, I, I think just, I just, my perspective, like having a team, having a photographer embedded in the program, it, it's it's such a valuable tool. And you see that Legion just like has, they can tell their story really well. I mean, all the people want like Justin and Corey, really good storytellers themselves. And they understand, they understood how important it was to have someone like Kit around. And it's it's amazing what they can do with that. And I think that, you know, if a team can afford it, that's, I think, a really smart way that you want to go um, through your season with, you know, with that embedded photographer or the videographer who can produce that stuff. I think it's just, it's so important because, I mean, like, I go on Instagram and, like, they're... I, all I see is Legion and like, I like, I know everything they're up to and like, I know how they finished and I know where they are as a team and I'm so updated and it's great. Speaking of embedded photographers and this is segue to Athens to talk a little bit about what's kind of brewing underneath the surface here on the men's side at Athens is, is Patrick Daly, brother Pat, the photographer that's embedded with the team that is slowly stepping up and up and up, and that's Butcher Bucks. They had some really terrible luck earlier on in the year. One of their, you know, new guys, Oliver Flout, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, fell down the stairs carrying his bike on the way to the airport to go to Boise and hurt himself pretty badly. I guess he really busted up his ankle. That took him out. There was another guy on the team who got hit by a car. So, you know, they were really kind of on the back foot and their results early on in the season, you know, once the USA crits got started, were probably less than what they wanted to. But now all of a sudden, not even all of a sudden, but definitely the progression has been ButcherBox has become more and more of a thing at the front. And I think one of the people that you need to really start taking a look at, and this goes for Grant Park, for Spartanburg, and for Athens with Spencer Movenzada. The guy is probably one of the smartest wheels to follow. And I mean that not just in his tactics, but also in the fact that the dude is a Duke graduate and he already has patents to his name in, in medical. And he's going into, he's doing an externship this year with somebody for something related to prostate cancer, I think it is. So like the man's a smart guy and he's a fun guy to be around and an even headed guy. Bodhi, talk to us about the end there at Athens and how that kind of developed from the outside. And then Alan, we're gonna step inside and talk about your specific race, because I know that wasn't easy. Yeah, so Athens, you know, wow, that was awesome to be there. I got to say that. I was excited to, to finally get to Athens. It lived up to the hype. Um, that was probably the coolest. Like that, There definitely was like a uh, stadium vibe going on there um, at Athens. And um, yeah, so we had, it was a punishing course. And so you had a, a break go away lap the field and then another break with Ty Magner who was kind of the hometown hero wanted to wanted to win the race also went away um so and then another break with Spencer in it um and Tyler Williams tried to go again but uh another Athens guy Frank Travieso said no and pulled them back um but Tyler Williams ended up winning the sprint Danny Summerhill in second and Spencer in third it looked like at the end that maybe Tyler was was going to lead out Ty, but then Ty was cramping up, 
Um, and I don't know if it's, he's told, you know, Tyler to take it or just Tyler could see it, but Tyler kind of, you know, was on the front in the last part of the lap and, and was able to take the win. So, I mean, that was, like you said, I know it was hard to see in the live stream with the, um, with the, the smoke machine, but it did make for some cool photos. And Alan, yeah, I do actually, I saw your Instagram post and I, I, what was it like in that field? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, punishing is definitely the best word you could use for that course. Uh, it's, it was kind of like crybaby, except there was way less recovery on the course. Um, <clears throat> so coming out of turn four up to the line, you had a climb that was probably about 20 seconds long, but every lap it felt like you were just going uphill for five minutes. And <laughs> we were, I don't know, at least for me that day, it felt like we were full gas from the start. Um, we cruised through the first, well, let me back up. The race was 80 laps long. Um, I think they were shooting for 75 K, which I mean, generally I like a long crit, but on that course is again. Yeah. Just so punishing. So brutal. Um, and yeah, we just never let up. Um, Medellin was there. I think they got in a little bit early to kind of prep for Joe Martin this week and their dudes, like they don't like riding in the pack. They would just send somebody off the front repeatedly. It'd get brought back. Somebody else would go. So we were just always on the gas. Um, yeah, pretty much sprinting up that that home stretch, home stretch every lap. And after, yeah, I don't know. After about 30 laps of it, the, the field was already completely shattered. I think with what would have been like 40-ish laps to go, they were already down to... 30 people in the race and we started with i don't know 120 just to kind of give you an idea of how just like i don't know (laughs) how hard it was i got a question is this was this harder than littleton yeah oh yeah oh yeah i mean littleton was only hard because people didn't trust themselves riding in the rain so you had gaps opening up everywhere um this was hard just because you were it felt like you were constantly going uphill constantly sprinting just out of the saddle it was, it was so hard. Can we talk about Ty Magner a little bit? The level of respect that he has attained in the crit Peloton is amazing. Like, I got a message from a DS from another team that wasn't at that race talking about how Ty being in that chase group, everybody was focused on that chase group more than they were on the six or seven guys who were up the road first. And they lapped up and it was like, okay, we got to worry about Ty catching up in the second chase crew because he's clearly the guy who we need to look at. Obviously, Tyler Williams ends up going on to win. And, you know, as Bodie said, you know, it looked like Magner was having a little bit of uh, cramping problems. Is Ty Magner the guy now with Legion? Is he Is he the person that everybody is kind of like, forming around with a lot of these later season crits when you say the guy in what sense are you talking about like the the guy the win or like a more of a like road captain leader i would say the road captain leader but also he's definitely got the capacity to win you know i mean i i feel like in terms of usa crits i feel like tyler williams is 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 their their rider right now especially with justin and Corey missing some of those races and tyler's pretty close to Tom, um, I, I just I think that Ty is just 
kind of a little bit of a, a legend at this point. And also I got to say just being on the sidelines and like, he's also the chillest and nicest guy, like always comes up after the race and it's like, Hey, good race guys. Like just always like really good vibes, like just super relaxed, um, kind of guy you want to hang out with, um, after a race. So, so Celine, can you, here's my confession. I got home late on Saturday, and so I wanted to get a ride in before Athens, but I guess I underestimated the amount of time that it was going to take for me to do the ride or overestimated my capacity in getting the ride done. So I got back with six laps to go and opened up the the live stream, and I looked at it, and the field was in tatters and people were lapping for the second time. And it was just, there was, there was chaos as far as being a, a, a spectator about who was what and where was who I thought Kaya Schmidt had gotten second, but it turns out she had been lapped once, but she lapped people once too. So what, what happened at Athens? I don't know if there was a, I think there might've been a first lap preem and a group of, six riders got some separation on lap one and just decided to keep going. And that was the break that ended up sticking. And then eventually Olivia Ray, I think bridged up to that group and it turned into a group of seven. And I think they lapped the field. What was left of the field. Um, I want to say like 20, 30 laps in. So pretty quickly, and they just went straight through. They were like, we're not going to hang out in here. Um, it might have also been a strategy to go straight through to try and like disrupt what was the break. And then they just ripped what was left of the field further apart. Because when they kept going, the Peloton was just like really desperate to hang on. And there was a pretty distinct like first and second group. And then the second group got lapped again. But the first group did not. So there was, yeah, it was probably the most confusing race that I've ever been a part of. And the even the race officials were very stressed <laughs> by what happened and couldn't <laughs> really figure out. It took a long time. Like, I mean, my results were um, wrong for a long time and we had to go protest. Um, but luckily with the transponders and the race footage, it was pretty easy to figure it out. Will you... Tell us a little bit about how you were feeling in Athens in the green room, uh, Celine. You were kind of mentioning, you were sort of equating how hard it was that you were like brain dead. Um, tell me a bit about, about like how you felt during that race. I saw the break go and I knew I was like, Kendall's in there, Skylar's in there, Maggie's in there, Goki's in there. Like, this is it. They're gone. And I was like, I have to go right now. Um, and I did. And I bridged up. And... I held on for like three laps <laughs> and it was like the hardest three laps. Unsurprisingly, I got dropped from the group um, and I looked up at one point and I was like, great, we're 10 minutes into the race. Um, I'm completely blown up. <laughs> um, but luckily we had such a huge gap on the field that by the time they caught me, um, I was recovered and I could keep going. It was, I mean, the pace just never let up. And then especially when we got lapped and people were pretty desperate to hold on to that group. It was, yeah, I mean, it was 
unbelievably brutal to the point that I couldn't find the lap counter. I didn't know where it was. Um, and I was talking into my mic. I was like, what lap are we on? How many laps do we have to go? I don't know what's going on. Um, also, like, how does it work when once we've been lapped? Like, is everyone still on the same lap? I just I didn't know. I was positioned really well with like 10 to go. At one point, my teammate who had been pulled started telling me laps whenever I would ask. And so I positioned myself pretty well with 10 to go. But um, by the time it was the last lap, I didn't know anymore. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what lap we're on again. And then I was like, why is Kendall sprinting? And then I was like, oh, no, it's the last lap. <laughs> With Kendall, I don't think you get the opportunity to catch back up after she starts her sprint. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so that was pretty unfortunate, but I did end up catching a few people like in that sprint and I guess clawed my way into 10th. But after the race, Maggie told me that she had set a new 60-minute power and I was like, that makes me feel a lot better about not being able to hang. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really know how you set a 60 minute power record on a course where like half of it is a descent and half of it is an uphill because those corners did have speed limits. But I think that just goes to show like how hard they were pushing on that uphill. According to the official results, the race was one hour and two minutes long. So if she set a new 60 minute power number, Oof. that was an abysmal 60 minutes. Yeah, it was from the gun. Um, but however, the flip side of that is there were zero crashes because it was so strung out and hard the entire time. So I was pretty stoked about that. I want to talk about InstaFund for a second because Harriet Owen went home to England. She uh, pulled herself out of the competition because of the of uh, kind of some lingering effects from the concussion she suffered back in, I believe it was April in Spain just wasn't getting better. So she made a smart but hard decision to pull herself out of the competition, which left Rachel Langdon as kind of the standard bearer for InstaFund. Rachel has been the overall leader. So, you know, she's doing an incredible job with USA Crits as a whole. But watching those last couple of laps with Rachel, with Maggie, and with Skylar in a small group together, along with Kaya Schmidt from Lux, who had was a lapped rider, you know, you you start to get this sense of the four of those women knew exactly what was going to happen. And Maggie and Rachel sure as heck didn't want what was going to happen to actually happen. So they made it as hard as it possibly could on Skylar to try to separate, to try to put her on the defensive, to try to do anything. The only thing that they could have done differently was maybe wait for a hot second so that Olivia could bridge up and join them. And then it would have been an Olivia Skylar battle like it was at Intelligentsia, which was incredible sprinting. But Rachel Langdon, she let out the sprint. She ends up getting third, but she let out the sprint because she knew what was coming. And she put in the biggest, hardest, best dig that she could possibly do, but it just wasn't enough. I mean, Skylar is just, just that good. Right now, she is, I she's the best in this field. And I guess that's just all something that we have to both get used to and pause for a second and just be impressed by. Bodie, what's it like when you see that happen? When you see somebody like Skylar do what she does? 
you know, I don't want to make any Jordan comparisons. You know, I don't, I don't want to say poetry in motion. Those are, those are old sports cliches. But uh, I think it's been great uh, to see, you know, Skylar went to the world tour. You know, she was, she was on Bulls Domans for a couple of years. I mean, she, she, I don't, like, I don't know all the history. So I know that, you know, she was younger, the younger sister to Sam and they were tearing up the scene and Sam was, you know, doing great. And then Skylar got the contract and went over to Europe and, came back and, you know, has just like got on a great team, got a great program together and has been dominant. And it's pretty incredible to see that, that duo. Um, I sort of, you know, there's a segment we have on the media pit where we kind of, we, we, there's a metric cyclocross metrics. And so I tried to apply some of those metrics to Skylar's stats this year. And this is not, these aren't updated numbers. I missed like speed week, but these are pretty close um, so like so far, Skyler's winning percentage this year is 60%, which is kind of unbelievable in bike racing. Like those are, those are not quite Vanderpool numbers, but rarely does anybody have a winner winning percentage that big, right? I mean, you, you lose a lot more races than you win, except for Skyler this year. Um, like I said, this is, she has 15 wins out of 25 races um, her on podium percentage is 84%. So that's anytime you finish in the one, two, three on the podium and her wide angle podium percentage, you know, anytime the top five is 96%. Like I said, these are slightly outdated, but kind of incredible numbers. I, I like I said, I've been watching cycling since 2013. So, I mean, I, I'm really would love to go back and look and see who else has had numbers like that. Um, someone will listen to the show and, and, and tell us maybe adam myerson will he'll bring up a factoid us and he'll let us know but like i did like you want to pause let's 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 pause and and appreciate the um the winning percentage of 60 percent the on podium percentage of 84 percent and the wide angle podium percentage of 96 percent you have to go back to june 20th for a podium that did not include skylar in a race that she entered that's the u.s yeah of this year you have to go back to the u.s pro road championships to find her finishing outside of the top three and in fact two days later at manitowoc in upstate wisconsin she got third that's the last time she hasn't finished first or second in a race that's insane i mean just with like how chaotic the ends of races are to be able to so consistently like position yourself in the right spot and then be able to like finish it off with the sprint is just like i don't know it's it's such a difficult thing to do once and to do it that regularly is truly impressive in that time only one woman has beaten her and that's olivia ray that just shows you how good olivia is and how incredible Skylar is. And the fact that we get we mere mortals get to witness this battle between these two is awesome. And one thing that we didn't talk about at the beginning, which I think kind of bears mentioning a little bit, is that Rally is finally together. At these first couple of races, it had been Olivia and Madeline Bemis. Those two, you know, were the, they were the dynamic duo, the Kendall and Skylar of rally. Now Emma White is back. Holly Breck is back. Lily Williams came and raced a couple of races. I guess she's gone back to, to Colorado to 
kind of decompress after the Olympics. But, you know, rally has its its core group of women who are coming to race these crits. Is this, Celine, is this going to be like a watershed moment where now the competition gets even harder than it was a week and a half ago, you know, now that rally's there? I'm not going to lie. Like when we were doing our team meeting, um, that was kind of the the prediction as Friday night for Spartanburg. Um, we were like rally. It's going to be the rally and Legion show. Um, and it was actually really surprising that rally wasn't really involved very much in terms of animating the race or participating. And when Skylar went off the front, rally went to the front and i don't know how to really say this without just being completely blunt but they actually slowed the peloton down because they weren't taking corners very well and that was extremely surprising for all of us um because we had had very high expectations and olivia actually did so much work on friday to try and bring it back which i mean she's their sprinter so she shouldn't have had to do that. Um, so yeah, very surprising. Um, I think maybe they just like haven't gotten the cobwebs off in terms of crits yet. Um, they're obviously all very strong, but yeah, did not uh, go as expected whatsoever. <laughs> Tell us about Friday night, because I think that Spartanburg bears some fleshing out on the women's side. Legion goes one, two. Maggie Coles Lister from DNA goes three. There is your podium. How do we get there? So two laps, I think two laps in, there's like a crazy crash. Um, I don't know who caused it or what exactly happened. Um, all I know is that all of a sudden, and it's a, on a straightaway. So the straightaway between uh, turn two and three. All of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I just see like people going down um, and it's like a wave coming at me. And it was like an out of body moment where I like was looking down on myself going towards the crash and then like somehow managed to avoid it. And I looked back and it was like one of those Tour de France crashes where just the entire road is covered with human beings and bicycles. And it's just it's just a massive pileup. So as is the trend of the year, we were neutralized and we were neutralized for about five laps before they restarted us. And I think everyone was, everyone who could was like, I'm out of here. And the race got really fast. And eventually Skylar goes off the front. And I mean, she's out there solo for 30 laps, which is pretty insane. Oh my God. I didn't realize that. That's so long. Yeah. So she, uh, yeah, 30 laps. Um, and we were like, cool, DNA and rally are going to bring this back. And uh, like I was saying, it was like pretty wild because rally would, I mean, they set like really crazy paces on the straightaways, but then the corners, it was just like, I don't know if. It, like road racing is different or having been on the track for so long training for the Olympics, if it was just like a, like weren't used to it anymore or yeah, I, I can't really explain it, but I think they actually helped Skylar establish that gap. Um, and then she was just gone and there's nothing anyone could do <laughs> to bring her back. <laughs> Did you guys try to get up there and help? Well, by that point, 
I will be completely honest and say that I raced like a complete idiot after the neutral was over because I was um, very stressed by that crash. And so I basically got on the front and wasted a lot of energy to try and make things quick. And just at the moment where I was like, cool, I'm going to chill in the Peloton and recover for a second. That's when it happened. So I was useless. Um, And I think a lot of my teammates were also just like suffering. So we we couldn't really contribute very much either. Maggie is an incredible sprinter. Yeah. We all know that she beat them, Kendall and Skylar at Clarendon on the second day. She got the better of them. She she, you know, is one of the few people who've been able to do that. You know, is DNA up to the challenge of controlling the field? Have they kind of gotten from the point where they were at Tulsa, where they just, they weren't capable of controlling the field as well at Tulsa? Are they to a point now where they've got the personnel and they've got the capacity to get up there and take control? Um... I mean, yes and no, like they are in control at times, but the women's races have been so strange. It's just really hard when, um, the race is so fast to keep it fast. And then when it's wide, it just, the second it slows down, even like a quarter of a mile of an hour, the Peloton just bunches up and then it's impossible to control that. So I think that they are getting better at it but it like they haven't mastered it yet does that give you an appreciation for what the men from legion are doing absolutely yeah and it makes honestly makes me kind of envious because it seems like the men's races have been so much safer than the women's races this year um because there hasn't been that bunching and if saturday and sunday of this last weekend are proof of anything it's like a fast race is a safe race um and I, yeah, I wish we had more of those. <laughs> Alan, do you feel her her envy coming your way, experiencing it from the inside? <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely appreciating the lack of crashes in our races this year. That is fantastic. Um, but maybe during the race, uh, it's le- I appreciate it less when it's just like every minute of every race, you're fully pinned. What was CS Velo's plan for Spartanburg? Is it back to Andrew Jeanette? Is that is that your go-to here, or how did that work for you guys? Uh, yeah, basically that was that was our plan was to try and set him up. I think that kind of sprint, that uphill drag that it was, with two not like technical corners before, but kind of awkward corners into the final straight, definitely are things that would suit him. Yeah, and then with Legion having maybe not their AA squad, but like a very very strong group there. We kind of knew that they would want to control things again. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of exactly how things ended up playing out, to be honest. But it didn't end up, Bodie, you're going to point this out, with a person named Williams winning the race. Right. I mean, I think sort of this, we did this backwards. So my my whole my whole script went out the door. But I mean, start, starting with Birmingham, it was the first race um, where someone named Williams didn't win a USA crits race. Um, so in Spartan, so we had best buddies who, uh, Summerhill won, uh, Birmingham. So coming into Spartanburg, we saw like it was the A minus squad, right? It was, it wasn't quite the full A plus Legion squad, but it was a heavy squad. Justin was back. Um, Alec Cowan was back. Um, Ty, 
But uh, yeah, they best buddies came over the top and they Legion didn't win again. And um, this changes everything. This changes nothing. This changed things. Danny Estevez um, finally pulled off a, I don't know how you say this. Did he, did he win a pro race in his amateur jersey? I just want to make sure I get that straight because that was very important to best buddies at the beginning of the season that we did, we made sure we pointed out what jersey they was wearing. So amateur crit champion Danny Estevez wins Spartanburg dethroning uh, Legion when the Williams brothers are there. There you go. There's your headline. <laughs> it wasn't the Williams brothers, though. True. You're right. Sorry. That was the fun. That was the funny part about about cycling media. It was Tyler Williams and Justin Corey. Corey is elsewhere. You know, I like. I really like the way that Cyclocross says this. That they kind of excise the word "pro" from you know American cyclocross, and it's elite. Right. As opposed to pro, you know, like I kind of feel like we should adopt that with crit racing because, you know, in the United States where crit racing is king, yeah, we don't have the same pro environment that they do in Europe with world tour road racing. You know, it's this hodgepodge of, you know, professional UCI teams and domestic elite teams and amateurs, pure, pure amateurs all coming together, trying to figure out who's the best on any given day. And I mean, like one name that we haven't mentioned here, but we could mention a thousand times because that's how many times, actually, we think we did mention him once, but we could mention him again, Frank Travieso. You know, Frank has retired from bike racing more times than <laughs> like I've raced this year. But, you know, like he's not a pro, but he sure as heck races like one. And, you know, like I, I think that elite is the way to go. But I wanted to bring back this point about Danny Summerhill and the work that Best Buddies did it, at the end of the race because the way that it's been explained to me is that Summerhill coming over the top the way he did with the Best Buddies train is what kind of set that up. And, you know, Automatic gets second, Legion gets third, but Danny Estevez from Best Buddies wins the whole thing. And is it due to the fact that Danny Summerhill was capable of leading the team and getting in basically disrupting what was potentially going to be another Legion coronation. I I think that Danny Summerhill is a motorcycle. Um, you know, he uh and I think also Danny Estevez uh didn't have a mechanical in the last lap. Is that what happened to Tom? <laughs> no. Tom Tom <laughs> <laughs> okay. no, Tom is just Tom is just out of position. Yeah, I was gonna say I was hoping you could maybe give us some insight on his last lap because if you've been on the Yeah You Ride Instagram page, you've probably seen his last lap footage. And uh yeah. honestly, like what he did on that last lap was insane. It shouldn't have been possible. Um <laughs> so yeah, to see him come from so far back and get very close to Danny, I was like, what happened? Like why was he so far back? I, you know, this is something we're talking through all season, and we actually recorded one on Littleton, and he was way out of position on Littleton too. And it's, I think, I think part of it is 
maybe a little bit mental. I think also part of it that he's doing that all solo still. Like he's his teammates are getting stronger. And, and you know, we saw Ethan Crane was there uh, guest writing and he got fourth. And actually, right before that video starts, he he gets onto Ethan's wheel. I forget why he was not on his wheel, but he gets on Ethan's wheel and he's like, go. And Ethan just, Ethan goes and he just goes a little too hard for Tom to, to jump on. It was a little too bit of a sharp of a uh, move as opposed to more of a ramp up. And if he gets on that wheel, he's on fourth wheel. So he misses Ethan, you know, gets kind of boxed out and then has to go around. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like it's getting close. You know, one of these days he's going to, they're going to get that right. Um, the teammates are going to be there and he's going to, you know, win by three bike lengths. Hopefully can't wait to film that. Um, but, but I do want to go back to the fact that Danny Estevez, uh, mechanical that Littleton, he mechanical, he had like a few in it. I, I know this because I'm watching the GoPro footage and I'm seeing him like look down and do the fucking shram thing. Um, I don't know if he's on shram. So I think for, for best buddies to answer your question, yes, it's, it's, it's Danny Summerhill who is, you know, you know, he's a revolver, you know, he, he can, he can shoot it pretty hard. And, and also Estevez being able to not have a mechanical and finally fall through on that, on that train. So that's Spartanburg. So I'm trying to get back to, to the race before Spartanburg, which is Birmingham. Um, Birmingham would argue that, that their trophy is better than Grant Park's. It's hard to argue with somebody holding a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, not going to tell yeah. them it's not better. I mean, I did post on the podcast web on the podcast Instagram account that 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 the Birmingham Hammer was the best trophy, only because it was the best trophy at that point in time. You know, subsequently the Slow Ride Podcast Four Foot Tall Trophy came out, so. I have a feeling that there's probably going to have to be a draft at some point in time and, and little guy will get involved in which we, we do like round Robin of who's the best trophy, but like the Birmingham hammer is pretty cool. Did Birmingham, this is a, this is a ridiculous statement, but with Birmingham, did we finally get to see Kendall Ryan just, admit to the world that she is superhuman. I mean, I kind of think we knew she was superhuman before that, but she really just, um, yeah. I mean, she came back from Tokyo and she was like, this is what I'm capable of people. Um, yeah, she's incredible, but we knew that before that. Yeah. I mean, we've even talked about it on this podcast before that her like happy place is those like one to three minute, just like all out, everything you've got efforts and the Birmingham course was very short. It was only 800 meters. So I can't remember if she went from two or three laps out, but that's basically what that was for her was just like all of the Watts for two, three minutes. And I mean, nobody could respond to what she was doing. It was also, I mean, it was also a tactically a great move because you had the butcher box rider. I believe it was Paige, I think who was, who had, maybe gone for the gamblers or maybe a bit earlier was off the front solo. And so you sort of thought that it was, they were catching her, that it was just going to be, you know, settle in for the sprint and, you know, Kendall is going to be the sprinter, but no. And, and she was like, no, I'm going to do a send a flyer. 
uh, one lap to go. And so that was, it was the combination of that, her own hammer and, you know, tech, really good tactics that was, uh, you know, sort of parlayed into an, an awesome finish. So this was the race, Celine, where you were in Colorado for, you had a sub come in for you for Wolfpack in Mallory McRosty, who of course is friend of the pod and also the significant other of the great Frank Cundiff. Are we going to see more guest appearances with Wolfpack this year for, for other riders kind of like testing them out for, for next year? Yeah. I mean, so we had, um, we've had some guest riders since Boise with Elijah Beatty, um, and Caitlin, Agnew. Um, and so we'll have Caitlin coming back for us for El Paso and I believe Winston-Salem as well. The um, Just before we close out here on the women's race for for Birmingham, you know, Kendall obviously wins in a landslide for Legion. Instafun's Harriet Owen comes in second. It was her last race here in the United States. And then Maggie Coles-Lister from DNA in third. You know, we're seeing a trend for Maggie here. We, what is it that she needs to do in order to get over this third and second place hump to get back to first? Um, she actually told me firsthand what she needs to do. So I'm quoting Maggie here, and she needs to start the sprint first. Um, that is what she needs to do. She has the sprint. I think her it's the timing. Um, and if she nails the timing, it's she's got it. She's going to get an opportunity. Yeah. So she'll be racing track, I believe, during El Paso. Um, so it will be, yeah, either Gateway or, I mean, actually, she's at Joe Martin and so is Skylar. So maybe she'll sprint first in that crit. <laughs> oh, and Olivia Ray is there, too. Yeah, it'll be a pretty big showdown. I'm excited to see what happens. On the men's side, uh, you know, what happened? Danny Summerhill, Spencer Movenzada, Ty Magner. One, two, three, boom, boom, boom. That's a pretty solid that's a pretty solid group to come up and, you know, go for a sprint win. Alan, how did that break down? Yeah, um, so that was a race that I was also watching from the sidelines. Um but yeah, I think Legion showed up that weekend. They only had four guys, I believe. Um so everybody kind of going in, everybody knew that there was a lot to be gained at that race for the team and for the overall, being that Tyler Williams wasn't there, Corey wasn't there, Justin wasn't there. And <laughs> what we saw was essentially chaos and people taking every opportunity that they could to attack the group. Um, it, yeah, it looked like there were attacks going off nonstop. About midway through, there was a pretty good pileup after corner three which was, I mean, this was a, a night crit basically, and there were no lights on corner three, so it was super dark. Uh, I think about half of the field got caught up in that. And for the next 20 minutes, it was just like tiny groups of people everywhere. The field was just splintered. People are getting put back in. Like nobody really knew what was going on. Um, and out of that whole like mess, I think a group of six to eight guys got away, including Summerhill and Spencer. And coming into that last... Ooh, I think it was 10-ish laps. Spencer and Summerhill managed to get themselves off the front of the group that was left, just the two of them. And, you know, when you have Best Buddies off the front and Butcher Box off the front, that doesn't leave a ton of teams left to chase. 
And, you know, people have become pretty used to, in that situation, Legion being the ones chasing. And to their credit, like, they were on the front the entire the last 10 laps of the race, but they just weren't making any ground on those two guys. So it came down to a heads-up sprint between Spencer and Summerhill. And that's a that's unfortunate for, for Spengen, because in a heads-up sprint, Summer, that's Summerhill's type of thing, you know? And yeah. you you saw Spencer take a dig and there was like a little glimmer of hope where you're just like, the breakaway guy's going to win. And then Summerhill. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to try and tell him what to do. I think if I would have been lucky enough to be in Spencer's position, um, three to four from corner three to four was a slight uphill. Uh, and he, Spencer came out of turn two and just sprinted basically trying to get a gap on Summerhill. I think if he could have like weaseled his way behind Summerhill and then sprinted into corner three, that would have been, that would have been his race. Interesting. Well, we're going to get Spencer on the show and we're going to ask him point blank. Uh, exactly. What word should we use? You know, like Spencer Alan Schroeder from CS Velo says that you hosed it up. You should have. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have done differently to win the race if you got to do it again? Instead of Spencer, instead of shooting from the hip yeah. and going at turn two, this is Alan thinks this is what you should have done. <laughs> Having been stood on the side of the road, <laughs> this is what you should have done. You know, Bodie, was this the was Birmingham the weekend that Tom took the overall lead? Yes. Yeah, this was the weekend. Um, and... Like you said, Alan, it was a vacuum of of power, right? That everybody was trying to fill. And Automatic was a team that, and Tom just straight up said, we're just going to go to the front and drill as hard as we can. And we're going to strike people from the back. Just like he had so much fun at Littleton, he wanted to do it again. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's completely different in, in, in the dry conditions. But you did see like Best Buddies also wanted to do it. Like other teams like wanted to do it. So it was an incredibly hard race. And, you know... I think at the end, some of the guys, you know, didn't like, first of all, they didn't actually know that two guys are up. Tom thought they had caught and he thought they were sprinting for the win. Oh, really? Um, until like two to go when someone says, no, there's actually two up. So there was a bit of a miscommunication um, within the team there. Um, but yeah, it was, it, he took the, he took the lead there and and he kind of knew that was going to happen as long as he stayed upright. Um, I got to say that immediately after the race finished, the rain came. Oh yeah, and then the power got cut out. So me as a filmmaker, I'm freaking out because here's the big point in the story where Tom takes the jersey and <laughs> there's no lights and it's pouring rain and I'm just like, of course this would happen to me, you know. Um, but I think we got some footage anyway, and it, and it worked out. And they they had to. I think Justin had all the extra jerseys, so he had to try to squeeze into a women's overall jersey. But uh, um, I think Justin gave him a few jerseys at Athens. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so very nice. Well, guys, we got Joe Martin coming up this week. We've got Gateway coming up the week after that. Bucks County, the Indy Crit. Winston-Salem, DCCX. Oh, wait, sorry, wrong sport. Uh, We've got a lot of crit racing left to go, and it's almost September. This is 
we've got a lot of fun to have yet still this year. So I'm really looking forward to catching up with you guys in the coming weeks and talking more about bikes. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Thanks for listening to another episode of the show. We're a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com. Go there, find out everything you can and need to know about the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly, and featured special guest Michael Bodekheimer, along with our senior women's correspondent, Celine Oberholzer, and our senior men's correspondent, Alan Schroeder. We will be back next week to recap Joe Martin, the great and only UCI event in the United States this year for the road scene. So come back, listen, two special guests, no more spoilers, no more hints. You will know who they are when you hear them. So come back next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation. <laughs>